Blog Talk Radio. everyone and welcome to the 534th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team and other fabulous moments. You can get your daily reading from me and other writers over at the Red Bull News Network as once again I'll be a part of that for this season. Hopefully even more. We'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, chat room is open. Talk amongst yourselves if you like. You have a question for me, I'll try to answer. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. If you have a question for me, that is. Yes, I know. Damn cold. Just uh, having some issues with a lot of phlegm. I apologize, but hopefully I can get through this as quickly as possible. But. Uh, and, you know, during this intro monologue, and as we all know, it's World Cup qualifying. We have CONCACAF, we have Asia, we have South American soccer getting ready. We just saw this past weekend the final round draw in Africa, CAF. Some very intriguing matchups in the final round of Conca, excuse me, of CAF, uh, Confederation African Ace Football. We got Egypt versus Senegal, Cameroon versus Algeria, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo versus Morocco, Malaysia, excuse me, not Malaysia, Mali versus Tunisia, and finally Ghana versus Nigeria. Those should be something special if you're going to watch CAF <coughs> World Cup qualifiers. <clears throat> but once again, this is going to be a lot of fun. The Octagon will continue on here in this January slash February window. We're going to have those two games this coming Thursday and Sunday in January. And then on Wednesday, we automatically get into February. And of course, that will be the final day, February the 2nd on Wednesday uh, for this round of games in World Cup qualifying and who knows, maybe, just maybe, depending on results, depending on what happens, maybe this will be the automatic clinchers for some of these national teams. Of course, you know, in the top four, Canada in first place um, with 16 points and undefeated. United States and Mexico, uh, USA in second with 15. Mexico in third with 14. Panama in fourth also with 14, but with a plus two on the difference, and Mexico with a plus four. So there's still some moments here, and uh, maybe if Costa Rica can or Jamaica can find a way to earn results within these last six games, it should be interesting. And let's not forget, of course, this coming Sunday, the big matchup as the United States will take on Canada at Tim Horton Stadium in Hamilton, Ontario. So, and that's going to be interesting we're going to have Dwayne Rollins on, uh, 24th Minute Blog, Sports 
uh, podcasting network and soccer today show with Kevin Laramie. He'll be joining us to talk about these next three games uh, for Canada. And it's, it, it's a huge, not just huge games when it comes to qualification, but a big mental hurdle for Canada. Uh, some news to talk about here. Now, apparently, number one, the first bit of news that I have seen um, on Twitter, also through Facebook, I have seen a post from Premier League rumors on Twitter. Now, I have to go and quickly, let me just quickly search the, uh, the account here. Because I want to make sure I get it correctly. And once again, and uh, as I'm saying once again, there is a Twitter account available. Apparently, because of the whole uh, Everton situation in the Premier League that is uh, not doing well at the moment, it looks like that Everton, they're going to sack their manager anyway, but it looks like, to be honest with everyone, they're going after Jesse Marsh. Um, Jesse Marsh, and here it is, Premier Rumors, that's what it's called, Premier Rumors. Now, we'll, you know, you're looking it up. But apparently it says Everton's looking to get Jesse Marsh. Now, whether it's real or not, I don't know. I can only get this thing sourced. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm not going to uh, see, I'm not going to, like, you know, hang my hat on this rumor after what happened with Bob Bradley at Swansea. Um, We don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. So at the moment, And it says here, reports from ESPN that Everton has contacted American manager Jesse Marsh uh, to take over after it was sacked from Leipzig earlier this season. I mean, who knows? We don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's just take it with a grain of salt. Until the rumors are true, we'll leave it alone. But, you know, if Jesse Marsh does get that opportunity, we'll see what happens. But then again, we don't know. Maybe Jesse's going to take maybe Jesse's taking a long break from coaching. We don't know what the situation is, and we don't know what he's going to do. So as of right now, like I said, we're just learning, I'm just learning about this now um over the weekend. And if he gets it, great. If not, then you know what? It's all right. Hopefully he'll get another opportunity. Uh, coaching somewhere in Europe or coaching in MLS. You never know. We'll see what happens. But once again, with Jesse Marsh, um, you know, shame what happened in Leipzig. But, you know, it's a situation where I think 
Uh, Jesse still has an opportunity, I believe, to manage in Europe, and we'll see what's going to happen there. So like I said, take this with a grain of salt. I don't know if it's a true rumor or not. We'll have to wait and see. When it comes to this other bit of news, Matt Turner, starting goalkeeper of the New England Revolution, is being courted by Arsenal to come over and play for them. Eight, uh, trying to remember the, uh, I think it was like eight or nine million transfer, I think it was. I could be wrong on the amount of money that the transfer could be. But then again, the transfer, I think the tra- I don't believe the transfer window has opened yet in England so, or in Europe. So we're just going to have to wait and see what's going to happen. Or maybe it has opened already, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see what, what the situation will be. But once again, this is a, a huge moment for a guy like Matt Turner to move over to, to Europe, especially playing in the Premier League for a famed club like Arsenal. Now, let me just say this right now. What do I think he's going to come into Arsenal in the second half of the season of the Premier League with still some games left over? I think right now, Matt Turner is going to have the same type of role that Zach Steffen is having at Manchester City. He's going to play backup. <coughs> I believe that as of right now, Matt Turner is going to be the backup at Arsenal. But my hope is that Arsenal will see the good in Matt Turner and will give him that opportunity to try and take over the starting job each and every week in the Premier League. Right now, I just believe he's going to be used for FA Cup matches League Cup matches, and for the time being, it's okay. It's, it's okay to have Matt Turner being a backup and learning the tricks in the trade of Arsenal. I know what you're saying, yeah, to lose and all that, but you never know. Maybe if Matt Turner gets a fair opportunity, he will be able to take over the number one spot at Arsenal. But until then, for now, I think he'll be a backup. But once again, what we are seeing in our goalkeepers in recent times, they're coming to England. They're going to, you know, they're playing in Europe. And they're going to England. Horvath, Nottingham Forest, Zach Steffen, Manchester City. Matt Turner, Arsenal. We're seeing our goalkeepers playing, not starting, but being used basically for knockout tournaments in club competitions domestically, like the FA Cup and the League Cup. And the truth is, that's not where our goalkeepers should be. You know, the, those days are gone with Tim Howard, Brad Friedel, Casey Keller, where American goalkeepers, even Canadian goalkeepers like Craig Forrest up in Canada, they were 
number one players <coughs> to be trusted playing in goal. Honestly, it's just been really, really difficult to see our goalkeepers being considered just backups. And that's not what it should be. But I don't make the rules, and I don't tell the, and I have no uh, power to tell these managers how to run their clubs. But once again, and I'll keep saying this till I'm blue in the face, training with the best players in the world in one of the most famous leagues in the world, in the Premier League in England, is not enough. And this is why I get nervous, whoever is in goal and not getting a fair shot at starting. I do believe in our goalkeepers. I do believe in their abilities. I do believe in their shot stopping. I believe in what our American goalkeepers are able to do. But what really, really gets me mad is that these great managers like Pep Guardiola and now Mikel Arteta, to see them not give our American goalkeepers a chance. But then again, has American goalkeepers been declining? Are they no longer the top players for all these clubs in England or in Europe? That I don't know. One thing is for sure. I hope for Matt Turner, who had a great year last season in MLS. I wish him the best of luck at Arsenal. I wish him uh, wonderful opportunities with that London-based club. And I really hope he basically makes a name for himself and finds a way finds a way to unseat the starting goalkeeper that is currently in Arsenal right now. I hope that will happen. Because I believe in the national team, you must find a way to be playing and you must find a way to prove to prove that you are the one that's going to do the job and then you can make the national team stronger in goal. Alright ladies and gentlemen, tonight World Cup qualifying preview show. We're going to have on a little bit later on Carter Krishnire of World Soccer Talk on the USA of Things. We're just waiting to get uh, Dwayne Rollins on in the 24th minute. And uh, Soccer Today show with Kevin Laramie, a part of the Sports Podcasting Network. Should be a lot of fun. As we get ready to talk about a big moment, once again, in this window. Big, big window. 
as United as Canada has an opportunity to get closer to qualifying for their first World Cup in a very, very long time. And gotta tell you everyone, this is a big moment for Canada as they are going to do something special here. Joining me right now, Dwayne Rollins, twenty fourth minute blog. Soccer Today show with Kevin Laramie and part of the Sports Podcasting Network. Before we get into the roster for this January-February window, Dwayne, what is the temperature in Canada right now? What is the take of the country <laughs> with the way that this national team has sparked a possible uh, jubilation for the world's game? Yeah, I wasn't sure if you were being literal there for a second. If you were, it's minus six Celsius right now. Uh, but that, that's a little take <laughs> a lot live. Um, which I, I'm 55 kilometers, which I think is about 30 miles. I don't know. I don't do miles, but it's about that to the stadium. So, so this is about the weather you're going to get on Sunday, um, which is cold, by the way. But what's the, the temperature in terms of the attitude around this team? Look, I just, before you got in the air uh, – I, I missed your first call in because I was watching a hype video that TSN just put out where Julian de Guzman, there with dramatic music I saw music that one too, actually. Yeah, so so that's that's not something we would have seen in the past, which tells you that this this team has has entered the mainstream. Now, obviously, uh, we'll talk about Alfonso Davies later, I'm sure, but obviously that that's put a damper a little bit on the excitement. But but nonetheless, um, a lot of the narrative right now is, is focused around that fi- slaying the final dragon, which is what the video, if you haven't seen it yet, seek it out later. It's actually very well done, uh, where it's, it speaks about how Canada has done everything now except for one thing, and that's to, to win in Central America, which, of course, some of their most uh, famous defeats have happened in. So they're going to get a chance to do that. And the U.S. game is taking a lot of the oxygen out of the air, but really you look at El Salvador and Honduras, two very winnable games, and, and I think the points need to come in there. And if they do come in there, you really can start to – I mean, you already can kind of start to think about Qatar, I think, because of the points that are already on the board. But if they get some, if they get say four points out of that, those two games, and then maybe a point, five points in this window, I would say you're, you know, you start start shopping for plane tickets at that point, and that's pretty exciting. So yeah, look, there's this is when when Alfonso Davies the news broke, uh, it was trending across the country instantly on Twitter and you know Instagram and all this stuff. Like it was big news here. It, it led the news the newscast, like not just even the the sportscast, it was newscast that it was leading. So that tells you a little bit of where this is. And that Canada's like that because, you know, down there you guys have a lot of fans, but to break through and truly be like part of the, the general conversation in a real way is very, very difficult. It has to be at a World Cup. But up here, whenever a sports team starts to do well, and then especially if it's unexpected, like with our tennis stars when they broke through recently, you know, that's not a team sport, but it, it makes, it crosses over. It's like stuff that the hairdressers that, your mom goes to or talking about right like it's not just mm-hmm. sports fans at that point because it's just we're smaller countries so when we we notice that stuff a little bit more i think mm-hmm. no i agree with you and you know the, the news about davy's not playing now obviously canada is not just solely on alfonso davy's i mean he's a big important cog Let's not, you know, mistake that, you know, the best player to come out of this confederation to dominate a part of the big, big German club uh, in the Bundesliga in Bayern Munich. But you still have, uh, Osor- jo- you know, Jonathan Osorio. You still have Jonathan David. You still have Tejan Buchanan. You still have Kyle Lahren. You still have Estacchio, uh and Hutchinson. 
and, and you know, you still got some pretty damn good players, uh, you know, uh, up top in the mid in the midfield on, on the back line. You still got Borjan. You still have Crepo, your your goalkeepers. Uh, I, I mean, I, do you believe that John Herdman is definitely going to push the right buttons and get them going, and to make sure that to let them know this is not uh, Team Alfonso Davies. This is Team Canada. It, well, no, 100%, yeah, I have no doubt about that. And I said that when Alfonso Davies, the news broke there. Obviously, it's <clears> disappointing, <throat> but I, I was, I was, uh, I believe that they could overcome that. And and I based that not just on hope and and you know me closing my eyes and wishing it to be, but also just having seen them play without him recently, and that being in the the knockout part of the of the summer's Gold Cup, where they really took Mexico to the break in the semifinal, could have very easily qualified for the final there. Um, you know, obviously, they, and used it as a growing to move forward. And, and they, a lot of that Gold Cup success was based off of Tejan Buchanan, who has made the move and is in season now, played a couple of games uh, for Brugge, uh, looked pretty well uh, from what I've seen. I've only saw the one game he played in, but considering he hadn't played in a few months, it, it's really one game in about four months at that point. He, he stepped into that uh, that role really well and was attacking players with the same sort of uh, level of, uh, of sort of brazenness that we get to expect in Major League Soccer with the New England Revolution. So, so Tajan, I think, will step into the role that, that Alfonso did. And, no, it's not going to be able to be a like-for-like. Like. I mean, that's asking too much. I mean, I, Alfonso Davies might be the best player that this region's ever made. And I, I say that without – I don't say that lightly. He might literally be the best player in CONCACAF history. He's only 21, right? And he's already trend, trending towards that level of global superstardom that we haven't seen from this part of the world before, and I'm including Mexico in that. And you can argue with me if you want. I dare you to go and show me your receipts, basically, is what I'm going to say to that. You know, a lot to prove there, but Tajin can step in and be, I think, 80% or 90% of that, can, can add that element to it. Certainly against Honduras and El Salvador, I have no doubt whatsoever that the team that I'm looking at right now in front of me as we're talking, um, the roster is more talented than those two teams, and the results bear that out when it comes to Sunday's game. Um, look, that one's a hard one to handicap for me. Um, obviously, Canada is going to be emotionally up for it. The, the crowd situation won't be what we hoped it would be, but it's still going to be a crowd there. And the people that are in that building are going to be the most engaged fans you can imagine because these are people that have jumped through hoops twice to get there. They're going to want to be there. So it's not going to, it's not going to be quiet in there. It'll be less loud than it would have been, but it's still going to be an atmosphere. Both those teams are kind of facing the same sort of handicap that, that you'd say going into this for both of them, which is that their MLS players are out of season. So that kind of washes itself out. Um, to be blunt with you, Daniel, when I, if you want to, I'm sure we'll get into previewing that a little more detailed in a minute. But look, I, I think the other two games are more important this window, and I think that's for both teams. If they get a good result in the first game, the U.S. and Canada, I think tactically both managers are going to go into it with the, the acceptance, considering it was a draw on the other side. The, like the reverse fixture, that they might both be happy with that coming out of it because ultimately you're setting yourself up to go to Qatar and not, not win the, the off, and who cares who finishes first as long as you're top three, then that's going to set themselves up well for that. So, look, it, it's going to be – there were some setbacks in this, and, uh, you know, the other setback is Estacchio, learning he has COVID. He's isolating right now, but he's on this roster, which means that they believe they're going to get him back in for at least part of these games, uh, perhaps by Sunday. I don't think he'll be in for the Honduras game, and – We'll see. I mean, you got to give have confidence after watching this team play and not they're, like they're undefeated. How can you argue otherwise? This this team deserves to be where they are, and now they have one more hurdle. As Julian told us on that video, one more dragon to slay. And I believe that they're going to go down, or they're going to get it done. It starts with Thursday, 
which is the big one because that speaks to the most infamous loss of all, 8-1 in 2013. 2013. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Even I was surprised that happened. But, you know, that's the trick of playing down in Central America. You've got to handle all of the negativity that's thrown at you when you're visiting those nations. And Honduras, uh, let's be honest, has not looked like Honduras uh, this year in this uh, octagonal uh, qualification stage. Um, to go to the USA game on Sunday, how disappointing is it that the Canadian government, and let me just say this. I understand COVID and, and all the variants that have been built up and has come across uh, our shores in North America has been a pain in the rear end. Believe me, I've had enough of the COVID. I've had enough of these variants. But to have a possible sold-out Tim Horton Stadium in Hamilton and the Canadian government reduces it in, by half, I mean, how, dis- how difficult is that? that you're not going to see what the scenes were in Edmonton, what should be in Hamilton. Yeah, just quick, I guess, correction. I don't want to get too poli-sci 101 here, but it's, uh, it'd be the equivalent of your state government that they made the call, not the, the federal government, which is what, uh, how you said it would mean. So that's, a, that's an important distinction up here. So it's a different political system. But um, nonetheless, how disappointing is it? It would be... It's very disappointing in terms of on a personal level, for sure, that it's not going to be the same level. As I said, I do believe that the atmosphere is still going to be solid in there. It's just, you know, it's always when you have a half-empty stadium going to be a little bit lacking. And and the design of Hamilton Stadium as well has one open end to begin with, which when it's full can work because they have a sort of a, a standing section behind on the open side. So there's drinking and kind of fun going on in there. So it it sort of adds to the element, but when, you know, it's going to be half full, it'll just be empty because there won't be any drinks being served there. So it'll, it'll just look even emptier probably. But when it comes to the health restrictions that are in place, I talk to a lot of medical professionals about this, and I'm very adamant about this. If you follow me on social media, you know this, that you, we've got to yep. listen to experts and not our own, you know, don't do your own research because I don't have a PhD, do you, right? And, and these nope. people have declared that this is the appropriate thing because the health region that Hamilton is in, the Hamilton-Wentworth Health Region Authority, uh, they were actually shipping patients out of their um, their ICU because they were full because of COVID situation. So to have 20,000 people, 24,000 people go in there and, and be drinking and be partying and, and spreading it around and perhaps putting more more uh, pressure on that healthcare system is, is not something that we should be flippant about, but it is absolutely sad. And look, it's, it's taken a lot of the what normally would be a big buildup towards excitement. Um, It felt like that wasn't happening until last week because we've been in lockdown too. You probably aren't aware of that. Like we haven't had bars and restaurants and things like that open here for about, oh, it's coming on about five weeks now. So, you know, we weren't able to like sort of, we're kind of isolated to begin with. And then not knowing whether this was going to happen, these restrictions were scheduled to be taken off the board on the 28th, I believe. Of, of January, and then the government extended them through that weekend, so it basically was one day that we missed it by. So it's been disappointing, but since they finally came down with the rules and we know how to get tickets to get back in, which they go on sale tomorrow morning, um, they canceled all the previous tickets and we resell tomorrow. There's special codes for people that had tickets, and I think those that want in will probably find a way in. So since that sort of the clarity was there, I think the excitement started to build again, but it's not nearly what it would be, certainly for Edmonton, where it was 
you could really feel it. It was like a snowball that snapped considering where it was going down a hill, getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Whereas this is kind of the hills a little shorter and they caught or chopped the snowball off in half halfway down. And so it's not quite the same, but let's talk on Sunday and, and I'm sure we'll be back into it again. No, absolutely. And uh, it's going to be a fun time on Sunday. That's for sure. Um, I know you, you like to make sure things are going to happen the right way. You don't want to jinx anything, but uh, by the sound of your voice, I've never heard you sound so confident and sounded so sure that Canada is finally going to qualify for the World Cup since 1986. I mean, I, this is a this I, is a big moment for you and all of Canada. Um, I believe math, <laughs> and the math is very much in your favor. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, I, for them to, I think 22 points is going to be what third is based on just having looked at this a couple times. So that really requires if they win their, their they get like three more wins in this, they're there, right? And look, yep. uh, the El Salvador game, and I, that's why I always, whenever you talk to locally, everyone wants to talk about the U.S. game. And I get it. I understand it. We're going to be there, some of us anyway. It's in home, and you want to take care of your home games. It's also the Americans, and there's there's always the rivalry there from the Canadian perspective to when you play the Americans in anything. Um, right. You know, it's the little brother thing, if you wish, if you want to be <laughs> superior about it. But that's, that's ultimately what it comes down to. But I've always stressed that there are two other games in this window, and those two games are against the bottom two teams in the table. And for both the United States and Canada, you take care of those two games, no matter what you do against each other. They're both going at that point. And I do think they're both going. I, to answer your question or to speak to your statement directly, yeah, I am confident. I, I don't think this team is going to screw it up from here. That's not in their mentality. Um, even when they lose a player like Alfonso Davies, which obviously hurts, but I, this roster is, is still, at worst, the third-best team, or third-best talent-wise in the region. I think, arguably, I think they're top 11 Look, I, I can make an argument that Canada's starting 11, their best 11 players, is the best, most talented in the region. I wouldn't make the argument that their 24 is, or their 20 even, but I would say that their 11 might be. And on their day, they can beat anyone in this region, and, and they have. They've proven that over the past year and a half, and particularly over the last six months. So, look, five points in this window, I think that's probably the realistic goal. If they get that, then you're probably looking at a, a situation where you can clinch in the Jamaica game at home in, in March. Yep, I agree with you there. Dwayne, good luck over the window. Uh, take care of yourself, and I'll talk to you when we're all done with the, this current window that's going to be played. Take, thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers. Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Blog, Soccer Today with Kevin Laramay and part of the Sports Podcasting Network. Joining me right now from World Soccer Talk, it's Carter Krishnire. And, Kardik, you know um, – this has been an interesting qualification round. You know, so many games and so many short windows or big windows, however you want to do it. But, you know, for the United States, as always, this is a big moment for them right now because not only do they have two home games within these three in this current window, the, the truth is is that they have competition not just south of the border, but now north of the border, as Canada's really been improving since John Herdman took over. Yeah, I mean, I think Canada have the best uh, first 11 in the region. I actually agree with Wayne on that. Uh, that's including Alfonso Davies, right, who they won't have right now uh, for these three qualifiers. Alfonso Davies, the best player in CONCACAF. Uh, really, quite honestly, I don't want to offend 
uh, our, our friends south of the border. They've had some wonderful players through the years, Hugo Sanchez and um, Rafa Marquez, among others. But Alfonso Davies is on a trajectory where he could end up being the best player from this region. Um, outside, of, you know, I always forget about goalkeepers. So Taylor Navas is up there. Brad Friedel's up there. Um, uh, and certainly uh, a few of the Mexican goalkeepers, maybe Jorge Campos. But, um, you know, Dwight York, Trinidad, certainly up there. But I think Alfonso Davies, the trajectory I've seen of, uh, from him, not only here in Major League Soccer and in USL, right, you know, with the reserve team for Vancouver, but once he went to Bayern, I, I watch a lot of Bundesliga, as you know, and, and he uh, he's just such an impressive player. So, yeah, competition north and south of the border. Um, but – you know, there's also some other competition in this region, and I think uh, we have to talk about the fact that Panama has turned over their their squad, gotten a lot younger, and haven't dropped off the way we expected them to. Um, and uh, they have a sh- shot now to be that fourth team and qualify. I think they have a very good shot. I think Jamaica had a good shot. Um, couple bad breaks, you know, if, if Barr had been placed in the last uh, last set of qualifiers, Jamaica might have two more points. Um, but as it is, you know, uh, uh, they, they've probably got a mountain to climb. But obviously, they, when you talk about guys like Mikel Antonio and Leon Bailey, they've got some uh, – Bailey's hurt, but um, Antonio and others have some very high-quality players as well. Oh, absolutely. And we'll get to the rest of CONCACAF in just a moment. But, you know, when you're looking at this roster from the U.S. men's national team, from Greg Barhalter, um, <clears throat> we're seeing four goalkeepers, uh, especially this Gabriel Slonina, which I believe is from the Chicago Fire. And I guess he's going to be taking a look uh, in training, I guess. We'll see what happens, along with Sean Johnson, Zach Steffen, of course, at Man City, Matt Turner now. Uh, with the rumors of him going to Arsenal, transferring over. We'll see how that happens with him over there. Midfielders, you know, I'm happy for Kellen Acosta because I really trust him in the midfield along with Tyler Adams. But I think Weston McKenney has had a revival after the situation he went through both with Juventus, who he's still with, with the uh, benching he got earlier in the year, uh, or what are the, uh, you know, going against uh, the team rules of partying during the COVID. And then, of course, escaping the hotel in Nashville uh, just to meet up with someone where, you know, you should have asked for permission to have people, uh, to, you know, to, to come visit him. And they probably would have said no, U.S. soccer. But, you know, Weston McKinney's having a revival right now. And I think he's doing a damn good job at Juventus. Yeah, he's having a, he's having quite a quite a run now uh, under uh, uh, under uh, uh, Massimo Allegri, who was not one of my favorite managers. I, I wasn't happy when the event was reappointed him. I, I really felt like both for um, McKinney uh, personally, and then just for the trajectory of Juventus and turning over their squad, I thought Pirlo was the right guy uh, to, to, to um, go go through a rebuild with. But uh, uh, you know, the Agnelli family decided that they wanted. Uh, uh, quick results, so they brought Allegri in, uh, Bikini, young player, uh, breach team rules, kind of on the outs with a manager who's more of a disciplinarian, but he's worked his way in to the point where um, it's very possible in the next week uh, Rodrigo Betancourt uh, will be sold by Juventus to Aston Villa. I know Steven Gerrard is really interested in bringing him to England. If that's the case, Bikini has got that job locked down. Uh, he basically just won it anyway. Um, so that's... Um, that, 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 that's, that's really encouraging. Um, 
the maturity level is still something I'm concerned about, Daniel. Look, the, the, the mistakes he made at Juventus, he did it twice. Broke team rules twice there. Um, yep. And uh, also did it to, on, to, under two different coaches, right, under Pirlo and under Allegri. That also did it with Berhalter yep. uh, in Nashville at the U.S. camp. And that's really not something that I'm very tolerant of, especially when you're a repeat offender. But now, you know, we're, we're what, four or five months on. Looks like he hasn't had any more incidents, club or country, playing very well, as we said, for Juventus. Uh, they're back in that fight for the top four now in Italy. So, uh, yeah, he's the main man for the U.S. So the, um, the, the concern I had about him was that I didn't think he was maybe mature enough. We know he's our best player. Is he mature enough to, ha- to have that responsibility? Maybe these incidents, Daniel, uh, bloodlet him. Maybe he grew up really quickly because he effed up. Um, family-friendly show, so I don't want to say the word. But <laughs> he, he messed up. Messed up a couple times, both for UVA and for, for the U.S., and now seems to have bounced back and is playing some really good football. Played well yesterday against uh, Milan. Um, was that yesterday or was that two days ago? <laughs> the days are, um, are, are confusing, but he, 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 he's been playing well. I think it was over the, it's so over the is, weekend. I think that's yeah. what it was, yeah. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> I think it was Saturday, actually, now I think about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, of course, you see the defenders right now. you got Reggie Cannon, Sergio Dest, uh, Brooks Lennon, Mark McKenzie, Chris Richards. Of course, we have to wait and see what, it, you know, uh, will he be on loan somewhere? We don't know where at the moment. Uh, Anthony Robinson in England, Miles Robinson, DeAndre Yedlin, Walker Zimmerman. You know, we've, you know, Carter hosts one of those Twitter uh, window shows uh, that I join because, you know, it's always great to talk about the sport, you know, whether it be in the U.S. or in Europe. And I loved being a part of the group with Cardick, who runs the show with uh, Jonathan Starling, right? Starling is with you, too? Yep. Yep. And yep. I missed him, too. Great guy. Absolutely great guy. Jonathan's a great guy. Um, when we talk about Barcelona and, you know, the problems they've been having – and once again, it's always this year, it's going to circle around the way that Lionel Messi basically got dumped. Now, I'm not saying yeah. they were trying to dump him, but when you don't have the money to, you know, spend to keep Messi, you know, you're trying to blame it on other people and, you know, you're blaming it on certain players. And then you hear about Sergio Dest being transferred out or the attempt of him to be transferred out. I mean, I still think he can work at Barcelona, but the truth is, you know, with all these issues surrounding him, and I'll say unceremoniously, did you think that could be a problem for him in this three-match window? Um, I think he'll be happy to get out of Barca. Uh, he has not been a favorite of Xavi since he's come in. Obviously, Danny Alves is re-signed. Uh, what I'm hearing about yes, I'm hearing some things that I actually could, could – probably report here. Um, I'm hearing Bayern Munich are interested in him. They are not interested in taking him in this window. Uh, they would want to buy him in the summer. They're, they're going good in the Bundesliga. Um, they need they need some right back reinforcement, but they um, they're six points clear of Dortmund. They're obviously uh, one of the favorites in Champions League. They're, they're not going to make uh, this move until the summer. So that's not on the cards for him. There's been talk about Chelsea. I thought Chelsea had a buyback clause to buy Livermento, who I rate really highly as a right back, um, and came through Chelsea's system from Southampton. Turns out that buyback clause isn't active till the summer. So 
um, Livermento will stay with Southampton. It is possible uh, with Reese James injured, Serginho Guest could be at Chelsea in the next couple, uh, next eight days. I don't think so. I think Chelsea's just going to ride it out until Reese James is fit, which is going to be somewhere near the end of February. They'll get him back probably in time for the League Cup final and then um, for, for most of Champions League. So Guest might be stuck at Barcelona. I think he will embrace the fact that he's out of there for a week and a half. And um, and, and play pretty well for the United States. That's my position. I, maybe I'm going out on a limb saying that because he has not been playing well with Barcelona, uh, nor has he been a happy player. Um, and he has to get out of there. I, I, I certainly hope Byron or someone else takes him in the summer. But I think he will he will do fine in this window because he's getting out of there. And I think that that's a relief to guys who have a bad club situation sometimes. Um, real quickly on the defenders, just to uh, wrap up, Anthony Robinson has been playing out of his mind for Fulham. I've watched a lot of them the last month. He is on a level that he has never been on for club. And I think we've seen him at a level for the national team the last couple of windows that he had never been on for the national team. So this is a player that's peaking right now. Um, and uh, uh, for the U.S.'s sake and for Fulham's sake, long may it continue. He, he's, uh, he, I think a lot of U.S. fans are going to be surprised to see the kind of form he's been coming in. He, he has just been playing. He's been unplayable. Fulham the last uh, month or six weeks, really. I mean, he's been great. Oh, I mean, I think ever since his goal I'm, I'm down in... For the defenders. Yeah, I, I think for yeah. the other team, he's been unplayable. I don't mean he's unplayable. You don't want to net. Sorry. I don't know. But, no, no, yeah, no. It's okay. No, he's yeah. been great. I was going to say, you know, the goal he scored to level the match down in, in, in Honduras um, uh, was yeah. absolutely well, spectacular. I mean, I think he's been uh, not just a revelation, but I think he's just been playing out of his mind, playing with a lot of confidence. And I'm happy that uh, he's part of this national team. He's going to go out and do some wonderful stuff here in this window. Uh, the forwards, Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, Jordan Morris, which I'm shocked he's actually on this roster right now. He's probably just filled in as a roster position. Probably that's as far as it's going to go. Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah, who's been fantastic, and Jesse Zardes. Two players I want to talk about with the forwards. Tim Weah, I really believe Tim Weah has finally grown up. And I'm not saying he was immature or anything like that, but like maturing as a footballer with his, with his specific set of skills, that I believe that he is now becoming a force. Uh, in world football, not just playing in French League on uh, with Lil and his teammate, of course, is the Canadian Jonathan David. Yeah, yeah, Jonathan David is the main man at Will, and uh, they won the title last year. They're not going to win the title this year. They're, they're struggling even to be in the top half. But uh, Jonathan David is is phenomenal with Will, American-born player, by the way, born in New York City. Um, and but of course, the chose to represent Canada. Tab Ramos tried to call him into the U.S. camp. Um, for the U-20s, and, and he said, I, I'm fine, I grew up in Canada, I feel Canadian, which is fine, perfectly, you know, he's lived most of his life in Canada, and he was born here. Um, in, t- in terms of way, he's gotten back into the little team, he, he's been playing, right, but he's been playing 30 minutes, you know, coming off the bench, uh, then the winter break happened, uh, first game after the winter break, uh, he didn't start, but then he started at the weekend, looked pretty good, um, and I think he's coming in with, with a lot of confidence, um, and then who, who was the other player you said you wanted to mention besides Wea? Brendan Aronson. I think his stock has oh, yeah, yeah, really yeah. risen. Brendan yeah. Aronson no, is just and, and, unbelievable. And, you know, like 
You heard about uh, the how rumors. Exciting would it be? Yeah, how exciting would it be if he goes to Leeds United and gets to play for Marcelo Bielsa, who's one of the maestros of this sport, who has turned uh, Jack Harrison, who is a player we're all familiar with. I mean, uh, Danny, you might have bad memories. <laughs> but he's an NYCFC yeah, boy. Just a little. Just he's a turned little. Jack Harrison into an absolute monster. Um, you know, the, Jack Harrison um, is one of the best um, – left-sided players now in the Premier League. And, and that's um, and he can play centrally too, right? That's happened because of yep. Bielsa. I think you put Aronson on the other side. Let's say you put Aronson on the right side of that attack with, uh, with Leeds. you got Danny, Dan James in the middle. Um, although you know, Patrick Bamford will be back at some point. And I just think it's a great, uh, great opportunity for Aronson. No one has a higher work rate, more energy, uh, and that's, that's what Bielsa's system depends on. He's played for, for Salzburg, so that means he's learned ganged pressing, counter-pressing. That's a very important part of the whole Red Bull uh, philosophy. So he, um, he can go to Bielsa's teams and work his socks off. Because if you don't press for Bielsa, you're not going to play. It's as simple as that. Um, you have to be really disciplined with your counter-pressing, which um, maybe is something Aronson – uh, won't have to do if he went some other places, but he's a good fit for Leeds, and I think it's it's really exciting that he's going that he's potentially going there. That would be a great fit for him. And Leeds United are a massive club. We haven't had an American on that club. Um, well, I mean, we had Eddie Lewis, uh, but I'm thinking maybe we did have someone more recently. Eric Lehigh went there for a little bit, but we definitely have not. It's a very marketable club too, so it would be a very good place for Aronson to be from a marketing standpoint and also from a, uh, uh, the standpoint of playing for Bielsa. And who would be the number one Leeds fan that you know and I know in our days at CSRN would be the most happiest man, the most happiest Leeds United supporter out there to have a guy like Aronson on his club? You know well, him. I, I, you I, I know remember Twigster because uh, I remember he was a big fan of Eric Lehigh when Eric Lehigh went there, and I told him, I really like Lehigh, and he liked Lehigh. Turns out Lehigh had better years with Hull and with uh, Forrest than he did with, uh, um, with Leeds, but uh, he was a player he liked a lot also. So, yeah, he, he'll be excited about Brendan Aronson, and I think he's, uh, he, he, he's very, very excited in general about the way it's going for Leeds now because they, uh, they, they bad results at the weekend, but they've gotten two good results before that. Um, and Bielsa is just – their teams are a joy to watch, any team he manages, as we know. Um, and, uh, look, uh, a lot of people wanted him to be the U.S. coach. We know he didn't get interviewed, but I, I guess that's all water under the bridge now. Bielsa's got the lead job. He's doing great there. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're kicking on with Burhalter over here. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, but I also want to say this, and, and, and I want to say that I'm going along with you on this because I know you're having a problem with some of these U.S. men's national team fans that are begging Brendan Aronson not to go to Leeds, that he has to go to a better club, a, a bigger club, you know, whether it be, you know, fine. You know, look, you want him to go to Arsenal, you want him to well, go to Tottenham, Chelsea, you, or whatever. You go to a bigger club, you, you better be ready. Because the thing is, I think a lot of American fans don't quite understand the reason why Pulisic doesn't play all the time at, at, at Chelsea is that he's not consistent enough. He's not consistently fit enough. I, I've heard things from people I talked to in London who are pro Pulisic, by the way, who say, look, at the tra- you know, in training, he's not as – you know, you have to be at a certain level consistently to, to be at a club like that and to play consistently. Pulisic is not at that level. Now, as it turns out, McKinney is. 
Um, that's something that I kind of did predict. I thought that McKinney would be the better player. I thought Pulisic is a couple years older, so he'll hit a certain level before but Weston did. Obviously, they play very different positions, but Weston has, has gotten himself back into the UV team and is, is playing pretty well, whereas uh, Pulisic is in and out of the Chelsea roster. The, uh, out of the Chelsea team. There's also a number of players who play the same position or similar positions to what he does on that team. One in Mason Mount is, I think, a world-class player. The rest are not. I don't think I, Kai Havertz, uh, I don't like particularly. I don't uh, – Ziyech, I think, is hit or miss. So Pulisic still has a chance to play. Mount will always play one of those midfield positions, but there's still an attacking midfield position. There's also still a possibility Pulisic will play. But back to Aronson, I think you go to a club – that fits your skill set with a manager who has a philosophy that fits your skill set. That is absolutely what Brendan Aronson would be doing at Leeds. It's a, it's a, it's a great fit, and Leeds is a huge club. I think that we have a bunch of fans. A lot, yeah, it, 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 Daniel, here's the issue. Honestly, I, I, and I've talked about this privately with some people. There are a lot of young people who have now started to follow the sport who don't know the history of some of these clubs. So there is mm-hmm. there. And it's, it's not their fault, right? They've only started following in the last five, six years. They see Leeds United. They see they're like 13th in the Premier League or whatever. They're like, oh, you know, he could go to the team that's 7th or 6th, and that would be a bigger club. Well, no, Brighton is not a bigger club than Leeds. Uh, I would argue West Ham is probably not a bigger club than Leeds. They're in 4th, right, or 5th? They fell to 5th after yep, United yep. beat them, right? So yep. you can't just look at the table this year and say, well, this club is bigger than that club because that's not how it works. And um, – yeah. Leeds has had a good history with American players, as we talked about, with Eddie Lewis and with Eric Lehigh. And I'm blanking out. I think we had another American at Leeds. I'm pretty sure we did that. I'm just uh, blanking out on now. But um, You'll think of it somewhere history. down the road. Yeah. We've had, we've had a good history with Americans at that club, and, and, and it's a huge club. It's a massive club with great supporters. And as I said, um, it's the style of football. It's the way Aronson plays. This is the other thing that I think is going to become very complicated that we've talked about already for both Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna. When you see the energy levels Brendan Aronson brings, when you see the work rate of Pimi Weah, um, and then you're going to have to have a striker, right? Whether it's Pepe, whether it's Josh Sargent, who has not been called in for uh, these. Um, yeah, I, I, that's a little weird to me. Now, I, I do think it, it may be good if Sargent doesn't have to make the trip and, and put more tread on his tires because it's been going really well for him the last couple weeks um, in, the, in the Premier League for Norwich, right? He played – now, I know he got two goals this week, which was great, but he'd been playing mm-hmm. well for several games coming into this. And had, he hadn't scored. I, we have some – this is another thing about – we have some young fans that they watch highlights. They don't really watch the games. So they, uh, they think that uh, if a guy doesn't score a goal then, and he's a four, uh, striker, he must not have had a good game. Well, I'll tell you, I watch – most Premier League matches, I probably watch 80% of the matches when it's all said and done, because I watch a lot after the fact. Josh Sargent has been playing really well for Norwich. It was only a matter of time before he started scoring, because he's been making the right runs. He's been uh, setting up his teammates. He's been in, his interplay with Pookie and with Ida, uh, Adam Ida, has been very good in the last couple matches. And he does a lot of things that, quite frankly, a lot of our other attacking players don't do. Um, so... Uh, the decision not to bring him is, is, is confounding, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad because assuming the U.S. qualifies for the World Cup anyway, I like the fact Sargent is now a regular at Norwich. He won't have to travel. He'll keep his starting spot, and um, I think he's going to come into 
uh, the uh, the summer. Well, the World Cup's not in the summer, unfortunately, this time. But you know, he'll come uh, to the, yeah. the World Cup in in very good form, playing regularly for a a Premier League club. Um, or if they get relegated, he'll be the main man on a championship club, uh, a club that's probably going to get promoted. So he exactly uh, unless there's something specific about his game that Burhalter doesn't like, and that is the concern I have. Because Burhalter now has not picked him for a couple of consecutive windows. And is there something about Sargent's game? I can't imagine what it is because Sargent <laughs> works harder than just about any other number nine um, we've had in our player pool going back to um, – I mean, yeah, he reminds me a lot of Roy Wagerly. I mean, that's, that's uh, going way back. I mean, I'm sure I can think of an oh, yeah. example more recently. That. But, that's a hell of a compliment um, yeah, if you think about it. Yeah, no, in fact, I would say he's a combination of, of Brian Ching and Taylor Twelman. If you want to uh, make a historical comparison, more recent historical comparison, I think he's got a lot of Ching's ability to set up play. Neil Blackman and I have had great conversations about the similarities in Ching's game to, to Sargent's game. And then Sargent, and I'm not just saying this because he's from St. Louis and Taylor's from St. Louis, but has that, that finishing ability uh, when he's on that Taylor had, uh, that Ching didn't have. So, um I don't see how you leave a guy like we know uh, Burhalter has a specific system and he picks players to that system. So maybe uh, Ricardo Pepe and Jordan Morris, you mentioned him. Uh, maybe some of these guys uh, he thinks are better fits. Uh, Pereira, maybe he thinks they're better fits for his system. I, I certainly hope he's not thinking that way and would, would say, because I don't want this is the only uh, selection of Burhalter. So I'm questioning that Sargent's not there. You can also play Sargent in one of the wide positions. This is the other thing. He doesn't have to be a nine. You can play him where you play Brendan Aronson if you want to give Aronson a rest or where you play Timmy Weah. Um, look, uh, Pulisic and Reyna are two injury-prone players that you can't count on, so you need some cover. And you can, pop, you can play Sargent in one of those spots as well. Um, in fact, there's been talk um, on, uh, among some Norwich fans that maybe Sargent would be better – uh, playing in a in the hole, so to speak, for Norwich behind Pookie and Ida as kind of a number ten. Um, that's how versatile the guy is. So, uh, you know, national team manager should relish a player like that that can play in three or four different positions. It has a lot to his game beyond just scoring goals. But uh, for some reason, he hasn't been picked. So, uh, you know, just he just needs to keep going at Norwich like he's been going, and and Verhalter uh, won't have a choice when the World Cup rolls around. No, exactly. I want to go to CONCACAF as a whole with these last eight sides. Now, you know, what Canada's done has been fantastic. I've always rooted for them to be, you know, joining the pack, completing the North Zone to being the dominant zone of CONCACAF. We have seen the classic Central American teams like Costa Rica, like Guatemala, like Honduras, El Salvador, always being the pests, always the challenge. You know, one of those two will always make that third position, and then you have the another Central American team or a Caribbean team uh, making the playoff, the international playoff, when they finish in fourth. I mean, basically, it's it's just the three North Zone teams: us, Canada, Mexico. Panama has really become a powerhouse now in Central America, and then the rest of the region of of Central America has fallen into despair. Jamaica is still kind of hovering right now in six with seven points. We don't know what's going to happen with them in these last six games, but there was a time where 
you knew where the powerhouses were in this confederation. It was always in the Caribbean. It was always Jamaica and Trinidad and Tobago, and everyone else was potluck. <laughs> Excuse me. And then the Central America. I'm sorry. <clears throat> sorry about that. And, and then the rest yeah. of Central America was pick your poison. Who do you not want to you know face against for qualification? And now we're seeing a lot of you know. A, a lot of football coming up and going down. Yeah, I, I think uh, Costa Rica is in a rebuilding phase. Uh, that team got quite old, and, and they didn't turn the team over uh, as well as, as maybe it had been hoped. Honduras, uh, it didn't go as well under Pito as, as many of us thought it would. Uh, now they've got a young set of players who have done a lot at the youth level but are just not hitting uh, the level we thought they would as senior internationals. Actually, Honduras has had some very good youth teams recently, probably as good as the U.S. youth teams, believe it or not, or almost as good as our youth teams, and in many cases better than Mexico's youth teams. But they, uh, they, they haven't put it together at the senior level. And uh, Panama, much to my surprise, I said Panama was a generational thing, and I had said they would fall away completely. Um, and uh, that, has not, uh, uh, that, that has not what's happened. Um, and believe it or not, they are in a position where they are going to be the, very likely the lone Central American uh, nation in this World Cup in Qatar, which is amazing to me. Because, again, uh, Honduras has some great youth teams. hasn't translated to the senior level. Costa Rica, just because of their history of being able to turn over their squad and bring in young players uh, and keep some veterans, uh, thought would be okay. They're not okay. El Salvador is better than I thought they'd be, but we know they're not quite at the, they're not good enough to, to get through this kind of qualifying grind. But Hugo Sanchez has done a brilliant job with them. Oh, he's been fantastic enough. for them. Panama, it's pretty amazing how well they've done. And uh, again, you know, uh, Thomas Christensen, speaking of Leeds, former Leeds United manager, uh, Thomas Christensen, uh, the Danish uh, manager, has done you know, brilliantly with, with Panama. He's got that team playing at a, uh, at a really, really high level, and uh, I think they're going to make it. Now, as far as Jamaica's concerned, um, Jamaica, I think, has had a little bit of bad luck, right? They were on the, the red list of countries for the first uh, qualifying window, so they got nothing out of that. Next qualifying window, they play pretty well. Uh, they play okay. They get some points. In the third qualifying window in November, they really could, should have beaten the United States, um, and Barb wasn't available then. So I think they have it all to do, but it's going to be either them or um, or Panama. I think Costa Rica's out. I think Honduras is out. El Salvador, I hate to say because I'd love to see Hugo Sanchez make it. Uh, Hugo Perez make it. Sorry, I said Hugo Sanchez, didn't I? Hugo Perez, former uh, yep. international, former great NASL and MISL player. But I think it's down to Panama and Jamaica, and it's likely Panama. And it might have come down to the fact Jamaica didn't have all their players for the first set of qualifiers. That might really be the thing that makes the difference. Because I think probably Jamaica's the fourth best team in CONCACAF. But um, like I said, they were on the red list and then they had uh, some bad luck. So uh, Panama has taken advantage of that and, and credit to them. And, and they got, and like I said, they have a, a much younger team than they had in qualifying for 2014 when they should have qualified. Uh, and 2018 when they did qualify. So uh, credit, again, especially to their coach, Christensen, who I mentioned, uh, I, I watched at Leeds United when he was managing them a few years ago. Thought he was an okay coach. Didn't think he'd be this good. And he's done great with them. All I know is, is this, Cardick. When have you ever seen a national team, especially like 
a team like Trinidad and Tobago, who normally were a powerhouse in this confederation, and they go from being uh, a powerhouse in the Caribbean zone to being a, a minnow in, in just you know a quick snap of the fingers. I mean, let's be honest. The Paul Caligiuri goal really knocked that program down. And, I mean, they have good, talented players, but are they good enough to really challenge – forget even the world stage in a World Cup – because they haven't had anything since Dwight York and, and Shaka Hislop. Just to see yeah, Trinidad and Tobago falling apart the way they have is just unfathomable. Yeah, they're just not, they're not that many Trinity players actually in England anymore that are very good. They don't have many uh, significant players, and, and they haven't done well in Gold Cups. Um, there was one Gold Cup, yeah. right? It was in 2015 where they did okay when Kenwin Jones was still kind of you know uh, going. He was towards the end of his career, but he was – he still had uh, that, but he's really the last training player that was a huge impact player in, in, in the Premier League, uh, Kenwin Jones. So, and that's now yep. we're now talking seven years since he he, he began to fade. So they um they, they're not going well. I, I think KD has had a lot of internal problems. They've had a talent that could have gotten them um, where they needed to get, and 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 they haven't been able to take advantage of that. Uh, Cuba uh, now with the ability to to, to, to pull some players out of USL, out of the U.S. League, uh, and out of the Canadian Premier League. Uh, they've gotten better. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, uh, if they really pick up uh, uh, a 48-team World Cup in 2016, uh, 2026. They have an opportunity, I think, that, to improve. Um, and then uh, it, uh, I, I think, uh, obviously, uh, Curacao had a, a really good set of players this uh, yeah. um this qualifying, and I think they just got unlucky with their draw in the sub-qualifying round, and, and they're not going to have uh, players of the Cuca Martina uh, level the next qualifying. So, unfortunately for Curacao, I think they had their window and they missed it. A little bit of bad luck. Um, I think that they very easily could be in this hex and it, or this whatever, octagonal. And if Curacao were in this octagonal, I think they'd be better than Honduras or and better than Costa Rica, honestly. Uh, at this point, I think they would be uh, sitting there fifth, sixth, you know, maybe around where Jamaica is um, in El Salvador and fighting, fighting potentially to make the World Cup. But they uh, they got a bad draw. We didn't realize how good Panama was at the time. Um, I agree. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think in the Caribbean, you've seen a changing of the guard. Jamaica has always been there, but I think you're going to see Haiti and Cuba eclipse Trinidad. And as I said, um, uh, uh, Curacao has, has missed their window. And I, I really believe Guadalupe and Martinique, who can't qualify for the World Cup, by the way, but um, have been very good in Gold Cups. Now that the rules have changed a little bit about their player eligibility, they're not as dangerous either. And um, um, Antigua was a was a uh, federation that was rated pretty highly and had some decent players in USL and NASL. Uh, they've kind of faded. So um, they, uh, yeah, I think the Caribbean is is kind of up for grabs behind Jamaica. And I really believe Cuba and Haiti might be uh, might be there, uh, might be fighting for second, and, and uh, Trinidad is going to be in the wilderness for a while. I agree with you there, and I think uh, I think Curacao can rebound. Um, call me crazy, but I feel like Suriname and St. Kitts and Nevis could start something big here. We'll have to wait yeah. and see what it is. Actually, but, but, I, but I feel confident in them that they can rise. Yeah. St. Yeah. Kitts is a good shout, actually. I, I think I forgot about them. They definitely have some talent, and uh, their federation's getting together. Suriname's an interesting one because 
I, I think that they should have always been better than they've been. They've just not been mm-hmm. particularly well organized. Um, and they've seen what Curacao, who's kind of their Dutch neighbor, has done and how, how successful they've been. Like we said, they, like I just said, I think if they had made uh, the octagonal, they'd be, they'd be fighting for, for, for fourth place. Um, and uh, uh, they've, done a, they've, had, they've developed some really good players. Some other guys who are Dutch have chosen to represent Curacao. Uh, they, Suriname has not had that luck with Dutch players saying that they want to represent Suriname. Uh, but I think yeah. they have enough uh, good players and qualified for a Gold Cup now. So that's, that, that, that's important for them. I agree with you there. All right, Kardik. Uh, Kardik Kirshner will be joining me this coming Sunday, 5 Eastern, after USA Canada for my post-match show and World Cup qualifying. And it should be a real fun one. And don't forget, Four Scenes Fire American Soccer Show post-match shows for all the World Cup qualifiers in this particular window. Kardik, as always, thank you very much. And uh, I guess I'll be talking to you again uh, in your next uh, Twitter show. Yeah, yeah. And actually, before the next Twitter show, we have the post-game show for Canada. The Twitter show is going to be after that. So um, we'll be talking on Sunday uh, here and on the Twitter show. Yep, exactly. Double the fun, double the pleasure. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Double men come. That's right. Have a good night. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Now, thank you. Carter Krishnar once again from World Soccer Talk uh, as we previewed USA and, of course, a little bit of CONCACAF in this situation with uh, World Cup qualifying and, of course, the region itself. So, you know, look, everything is – the level is always bigger in Europe and South America. We all know this. But, you know, we have a region to be concerned of as well when it comes to uh, our American soccer players – performing uh, within CONCACAF events. And, of course, the next one will be the U.S. – excuse me, not the U.S., but the CONCACAF Under-20 Tournament, which will also double uh, as the Olympic qualifying tournament as well. So that's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen there, and we'll just uh, see what's going to happen there and, and move forward, and that will be for the 2023 Under-20 World Cup and for the 2024 Summer Olympic Games. So we will wait and see what's going to happen over there. So uh, it should be a big thing, uh, a tough thing, but um, we should have some fun. So we'll see what the uh, moment will bring us. <coughs> anyway, <coughs> anyway, um, all you can really say, honestly, is that this has been. Uh, a fun time, um, and World Cup qualifying will be underway very soon in a couple of days, and uh, for CONCACAF, and for Asia, and for um, South America, and it should be a lot of fun. And, of course, don't forget, um, as we take a look, wherever you want to watch these CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers, obviously the USA hosting uh, El Salvador over at Lower.com Field in Columbus on Thursday night at 7 o'clock Eastern. That will be live on ESPN2. And then on Sunday, this coming Sunday, it will be the United States at Canada. And once again, all road games for the USA will be on CBS Sports through their Paramount Plus app. So that match will be on Paramount Plus app. And then the next match, which will be on a Wednesday... That will be uh, against Honduras over at Allianz Field in St. Paul, Minnesota. 
and that will be seen live on Fox Sports 1 as they will retake uh, World Cup qualification. And, of course, the final window in March will be at Mexico, at home against Panama, and at Costa Rica. So that should be uh, a lot of fun. And once again, uh, all the European um, all the European qualifiers are done. Uh, when it comes to the group stage and the playoffs, they will be later on in March. So that should be a lot of fun. And once again, if you go to LiveSoccer.com, uh, LiveSoccerTV.com, I should say, uh, they'll have the uh, schedule ready to go for World Cup qualification. And um, we're going to have, uh, through Paramount Plus as well, the Asian qualifiers, there will be Australia versus Vietnam, Japan versus China, Lebanon versus Korea Republic or South Korea, uh, Iran versus Iraq, United Arab Emirates versus Syria, and Saudi Arabia versus Oman. And then uh, later on in South America, Ecuador, uh, Coming Bowl, these games will be on um, Fubo Sports TV, Ecuador versus Brazil, and that's at 4 o'clock, Paraguay versus Uruguay at 6 o'clock, and then you go to Jamaica and CONCACAF hosting Mexico, which will be seen both on Paramount Plus and CBS Sports Network. That should be a lot of fun. USA versus El Salvador on ESPN2, also on ESPN Plus. Chile versus Argentina at 7.15. Once again, USA versus El Salvador uh, and Jamaica versus Mexico is at 7 o'clock each. Uh, at 8.05, Honduras versus Canada. And that'll be on Paramount Plus and at 9.05, Costa Rica versus Panama. And that will also be on Paramount Plus. Uh, and that will be for Thursday, January 27th. On Sunday, November, Sunday no, uh, January the 30th, World Cup qualification once again. Everything in CONCACAF will be on the Paramount Plus uh, app. And it looks like it's only going to be CONCACAF only. Uh, Canada hosting U.S. hosting the USA in Hamilton, Mexico hosting Costa Rica. The Canada game will be at three. The USA Canada game 3:05 p.m. Eastern. <coughs> Excuse me. Mexico versus Costa Rica at six o'clock. Panama versus Jamaica at 6:05, and at 7:05 Honduras versus El Salvador, and that will all be Concacaf games and Concacaf games only, all on Paramount Plus. And then on Wednesday, February the 2nd, we're going to finish it off with all these games basically just um, on the 2nd. It will be Jamaica versus Costa Rica on Paramount Plus at 7 o'clock at 7.30 USA versus Honduras on Fox Sports 1. Back to Paramount Plus, 9 p.m. Eastern, El Salvador hosts Canada, Mexico hosts Panama. And I believe there would have to be the CONCACAF date only. And then on Tuesday, February the 1st, it will be the rest of World Cup qualification in Asia. Japan versus Saudi Arabia, Lebanon versus Iraq, Vietnam versus China, Syria versus Korea Republic. Iran versus United Arab Emirates and Oman versus Australia. That will be on the Paramount Plus app. And then South American soccer, Bolivia versus Chile, Uruguay versus Venezuela, Argentina versus Colombia, Brazil versus Paraguay, and Peru versus Ecuador. 
come. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. So basically, um, there's not much qualification left in the January, February window. You got to wait till we get to March where the second, uh, where the European playoffs for World Cup qualification, World Cup qualif- uh, qualification uh, restarts. And those will be one match legs only. In Africa, it will be the two-leg final round. CAF will finish up all in March. Asia should be able to finish up. And, uh, and then, of course, let's not forget, we have Oceania actually starting up very, very soon. Oceania finally getting their uh, qualification games in order. All basically crammed into March as we're going to have a single game, two legs, for representing the fourth team in Group A uh, in Oceania's Tonga, will take on the Cook Islands. And then the winner of that will be in the fourth position of Group A. Group A will have Solomon Islands, Tahiti, Vanuatu, and the winner of Tonga, Cook Islands. And then in Group B, you have New Zealand, New Caledonia, Fiji, Papua New Guinea. And then the winners of the semifinal group, 1A versus 2B, and of course, uh, you know, 1B versus 2A. The top two in each group will advance to the semifinal round uh, for two legs, and then the winner will face each other in the final for two legs, and they'll have the half spot and be into the um, international playoff. And once again, Asia, the fifth-place Asia winner will be taking on the fifth-place South American winner. And then, of course, the fourth-place finisher in CONCACAF will take on the winner of the Oceania uh, Tournament for World Cup qualification. So there you have it. And once again, uh, just to reiterate, the qualified nations from their respective regions of the world. We all know Qatar as the host nation representing Asia. They're automatically in. Qualifying for the World Cup is from South America is Brazil and Argentina. Qualifying through the group stages in UEFA are Germany, Denmark, France, Serbia, Spain, England, Switzerland, Belgium, Croatia, and the Netherlands, and then the final three will be qualifying. Once again, those playoffs will be Scotland versus Ukraine, and they'll take on the winner of Wales versus Austria. Then you've got Russia versus Poland, taking on the winner of Sweden versus the Czech Republic. And then, of course, you have Italy versus North Macedonia, taking on the winner of Portugal versus Turkey. So it's up for grabs. It's up, you know, it's anyone's guess. There's still two spots remaining in South America and, of course, the fifth spot for the international playoff. And, well, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for tonight's show. And don't forget, once again, CONCACAF World Cup qualification postgame shows involving the United States will be here on blogtalkradio.com this coming Thursday after the match at lower.com field in Columbus, Ohio, as the United States will be hosting El Salvador. That'll be at 9 p.m. Eastern. 6 p.m. Pacific, so it should be a lot of fun, 
It should be exciting, and I personally cannot wait for that one. So I want to thank my guests tonight, Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Blog, uh, of course, Soccer Today with Kevin Laramie and Sports Podcasting Network up in Canada, and my good friend Carter Krishnaya of World Soccer Talk. This is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight, and as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care. So long, and bye-bye for now.